1: with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms. And we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today.
2: Hello and welcome to the Mindfield Podcast from Anfield Index Pro. I am your host Alan O'Donoghue, and as always, I am joined by our resident expert, Dr. Andrew Vincent, to talk all things sports psychology and Liverpool Football Club. Andrew, how are you doing today? Well, Al.
0: On Monday, I watched the United game with my best friend, who's a United fan, and I've been looking regularly at the transfer chat on AI Discord. So. I would say it's been an emotional roller coaster this week, both in the chat and you know definitely during that game on it was
2: it was not a lot of fun, was it? but I think the last three games of the or sorry the first three games of the season have given us a lot to talk about, and what we're going to delve into today is to look at intensity and motivation in terms of the psychological aspects and how a lot of people will think certain things and, and assume certain things when it comes to motivation and desire and intensity, mm-hmm. but how from your experience, those elements actually work in, in a real sports, high level elite sports level. Okay. So if we look at things, the preseason was probably not what we would have expected, but it seemed to be going okay as we were floating into the season. There was a couple of minor injuries, nothing too major. And then we got to the community shield and the intensity was phenomenal from the off against Manchester City. We were at it. We tore them to shreds and it was a wonderful performance. It gave us a sense of renewed optimism for the season. It gave our opposition fans... Uh, something to worry about. A lot of them were talking about Liverpool are definitely going to do it this season. And then we had Fulham, Crystal Palace and Manchester United. Now, I'm going to caveat this because we have to have a bit of objectivity and and not allow results or outcome, the outcome of each each match to Blinker us into thinking that we have been atrocious in three matches. Because we've actually, in the Crystal Palace match, we actually played quite well. We had a good amount of intensity until we had a sending off. And then we had a a bit of a dip during the match before that. But then we lifted it again. But on the whole, there definitely seems to be something not quite clicking right now. And I'd love to get your opinion on what you believe might be going on and lean into some of those narratives around the lack of motivation, the lack of desire that people have, and the ability to turn on or turn off intensity like a light switch.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so like you know, a few thoughts. Like I think, regardless of what happened in the Community Shield, like it is obvious that for various reasons, we were not prepared coming into the actual season. And so whether that's, you know, listening to under pressure a little bit, whether that's decisions that were made around the physical training in terms of how hard the players were pushed throughout the preseason, like that could certainly contribute, whether that is related to the tactical training and how far along this group seems to be in terms of having an ingrained tactical approach. I think that's an important piece that we'll come back to, um... One of the things that I think is always really important when we're talking about the psychological side of the game is that when things are going wrong, like people blame psychology really quickly. You know? And like it's it's sort of the low-hanging fruit, partially because it's so hard to prove and it because it is one of those intangibles, you know, someone's playing well, they're like, oh, that person is really confident right now, and that explains all this, or oh, like, you know, this person's lacking confidence, or this person doesn't care, or this person's not motivated. And so like suddenly psychology can be used to explain a hundred percent of a situation when the reality is like the psychology is only a part of the puzzle and it's a part of the puzzle that actually like all puzzles, like it's not, it's interconnected with all of the other pieces. And so it's not like you can even just take the psychological side out and say, Hey, here's the psychology of this. And then like improve the psychology and like it that accounts for just that 10%. It's like something like tactical instruction is going to affect the psychology of it. Something like injuries is going to affect the psychology of it. Something like preseason is going to affect the psychology of it. And, you know, how those different things, like they all weave together. And so, you know, part of what I wanted to focus on today is just like maybe how those things weave together, but also really not just saying, oh, well, they're not motivated enough. Or like, oh, like... um. I don't know, they just... There's easy psychological explanations that I think we should avoid. Um, You know, there is the one about, like, long-term fatigue. And that's worth considering. And, like, that plays into the psychology of things. But, like, I think, you know, it's weird. It's just weird that this group looks like they weren't expecting an intense start to the season. Like, to have that intense start against Manchester City and then come out the way they did against Fulham, it's like they were expecting something different.
2: And, and that seems to be an assumption that a lot of people have, is that they expected it to be easy. But surely, surely at that level, the, the, the players, the, the coaches, the backroom staff, surely they wouldn't allow that to be the case.
0: And I think that's that's where things get really tricky, is like um, you don't always have a lot of control over that. So like one of the things that like you hear all the time when people are talking about motivation, especially or especially like you know, if you're a top team playing a team that you should beat, is people are like oh well just pretend every game is against Manchester City, or you know like treat every opponent equally, or you know like no game is an easy win. Like, it's one thing to say that out loud, and one thing to, like, kind of be like, okay, that's how I'm going to treat this, and, like, kind of, like, squint your eyes and be like, all right, I am really focused. But, like, the reality is, like, we know who we're playing against. And, like, the team's... Players know who they're playing against. Players know the expectations. Players know, like, um... Oh, you should beat Fulham easily because they're newly promoted. And, like... You know, in the past when we played them, maybe it was sort of easy or whatever, although I think we lost them two years ago. But, like, um, that, you know, if they're coming in, they're saying, oh, our first three games, we have one game a week, which is less than we usually do. And, like, you know, none of these teams are necessarily teams that should be really threatening to us. It's hard to just say, just through, like, sheer, okay, you have to be ready. Like, Fulham's going to come get us. Like, if it's hard to fabricate motivation. It's hard to fabricate intensity. And sometimes by the time you start to lose or by the time you realize, hey, I'm in a game here, um, it's hard to flip that switch on and off. And so, yeah, like on the one hand, it would seem like even, even if everyone saw it coming, like even like if all the staff saw it coming, it can be really difficult to just say, hey, this is going to be harder than you think. You need to be more ready. Does that make any sense? Like if you already think it's going to be easy it's hard just because someone else tells you, no, this isn't going to be easy to then suddenly be like, oh, okay, that's true. Like I have to buckle. Yeah.
2: Down. But I think in, from my view of how this team and the background backroom team operates, there is a level of trust and confidence in the system. And I'm mm. wondering if there. With the injuries that are there, the the people have come in. and Okay, let's break it down. Joe Gomez has played so little at, at centre-half recently. Trent has played so much <laughs> at right fullback. Van Dyke has been a bit shaky or not. It doesn't appear to be his usual self. Robertson doesn't appear to be his usual self. We have Fabinho in and out of the team. We have Jordan Henderson doing Jordan Henderson things and still not having the discipline to play the roles that he's been asked to play. Well, sorry, from what it looks like. We have a 37-year-old James Miller coming in, being asked to do things that maybe he's incapable of doing anymore. We have Luis Diaz, who has been Mm -hmm. in and out of the team for six months, and While he has played well, he is not Sadio Mane. He hasn't contributed like Sadio Mane has. We've lost Mane. We've brought in Darwin Nunes, who looks decent, you know, looks good, has a lot of potential, but he's a brand new player coming into a brand new system, playing against the level of players well above what he would be used to in general terms, in terms of the structure and the physicality, certainly anyway. And then we have Mo Salah, who signed this new contract. And the system seems to have evolved where we are certainly like more inverted in terms of our full So that is a change as well. And it looks to me like nobody's quite sure what to do. And you've Harvey Elliott coming in as well, who has had, what, 10 first-team games. And he is meant to be the connector between midfield and attack. And look, I like the lad. I think he works very, very hard. But he's actually shown me very little in terms of um, having the ability to dictate and uh, assist like we need our our right-sided eight to do right now. And it's not a criticism of him. It's just I don't think he's there yet. I think he's got a long way to go to be there. So I think I'm wondering... Are people unsure or untrusting of their teammates due to a lack of cohesive game time and consistent game time together so that everybody's used to it? And is that having an impact? Because maybe people are slightly out of position which then makes every other player have to think differently and focus differently. And like we've spoken about so much, you know that things need to be automatic at that level, things that need to be automatic to Mm -hmm. be as successful as you can be. And it just doesn't seem to be as automatic as it has been as far as I'm concerned.
0: Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely it does. And I think it like, it goes back to like the point before about, you know, if you're looking at the pie chart of reasons we're not performing, how something like tactical preparedness feeds into the psychological side of things, because i think you know regardless of how much experience different players have and what roles people are being asked to play part of what you have the opportunity to do in preseason is have a clear tactical idea where you've had time to rehearse it and by the time you get to game 1 the idea should be or you would hope would be this should be ready to go you know people should know what they need to do that and you know like i don't really know like what managers expectations are for preseason but, like, to me, this feels like the bare minimum starting point is that, like, our tactics and player expectations and roles should be as, like, clear as they possibly can be Um at that moment in time when we finish preseason. And so whether it's because some of the injuries that came up were unexpected, which is possible, um, or, you know, I think there's sometimes a reality, too, which is, like, Klopp plans to use the early phases of the season to really fully implement the tactics is like you know the team really gets rolling after several weeks like we kind of string together some wins at the beginning of the season but like the tactical part kind of comes together and then there's a part where we really roll and I think for all of the reasons you mentioned plus to me I just think there's been bad mistakes made in preseason I don't know exactly what those are but my hunch is that we were preparing for something different than what we've bumped into in this first three weeks and you know on under pressure, they sort of have a similar hypothesis from like a physiological point of view, and maybe from a tactical point of view as well. And so, you know, when you have these things coming together, where the people who you would typically have around you are injured, some of them, like Sadio Mane, are somewhere else totally. You have a new player in playing a really central role in Nunez, or you hope playing a really central role in Nunez. You have, yeah, like this. It just looks like a group that doesn't fully know what they're supposed to do. And it doesn't, at some level, like, you know, it doesn't matter how motivated you are. If your roles are unclear and the kind of direction of that motivation, like you don't have like a clear plan for applying that motivation and and applying your intensity, then you're not going to be effective. And that's one of the things that it really looks like so far this season is is like, yeah, the, the players in the field want it, It's not about them lacking motivation. It's about, like, typically, like, let's say you start a game badly. That can happen. Or even you start a game with low intensity and you're like, shit, like, I wasn't expecting Fulham to be this good or to come at us this way. Like, 15 minutes go by, 20 minutes go by, you realize you're in a game and then you you revert to your system. You know, you revert to your habits. You say, okay, this is how we beat this team. Like, you you know, like, okay, we got to dig in. And at that point, it clicks, and you can kind of turn it around and reverse the momentum a little bit. And it just felt like that was only 90% of the way there. Because I agree, like, I don't want to say, like, we've played terribly. It's just, like, the last 10% is the critical 10%. You know, like, that's, that's kind of the deal, is, like, we look like there's some ideas. I've seen some patterns of play that look like they were sort of established in preseason, but the issue is that those aren't fully ingrained yet. And so you don't score. You don't make the critical pass. Like you don't have that key moment doesn't get created or like that key moment doesn't executed the way you would expect it to be, which doesn't necessarily sound about motivation to create that key moment. It's about the execution side of that and then how that plays off against confidence. And then, you know, when you have a system and you're trying it a couple times and it's not working, that creates a certain amount of doubt. Should this be going differently? And, um... Now, from the mental side, things can start to look a bit disjointed. And that's not necessarily about motivation. It's just about executing plans and what the brain does when things are working and not working and how that problem solving on the fly is different from this experience of flow of like, hey, our plan is working. Let's stick to our plan. Everyone knows exactly what they need to be doing. You can be focused on exactly what they need to be doing. The more question marks you introduce into that system, and you you just mentioned all of the question marks that would be there anyways... um, the harder it is on a psychological side to be really connected with your task, which starts to look like a lack of focus. It starts to look like a lack of intensity. It starts to look like a lack of motivation. It starts to look like a lack of confidence and probably in some ways is a lack of focus. But like if you have three different things you could be focused on, it's hard to be focused. Like you're not focused. That's true.
2: Yeah. And one thing that's been kind of said to me by other teams fans over the last week or so has been, the question's been asked, do your players normally give out to each other so much on the pitch? And I kind of went, well, yeah, they kind of do. It's just nobody pays any attention to it because normally things are going pretty well. Um, so, do you believe that there's anything to read into, say, in the, the United match uh, anyway, where you could see the the senior p- pros at the club that you would be looking to to kind of go okay look we all we all know what what we're doing we all we can do this but when they're losing their heads and you've got 19 year old harvey Elliott or you've 19 year old fabio carvalho carvalho or you've 22 year old or 23 year old um diaz on the left wing and you know that kind of thing and they're they're seemingly losing their heads. Does that have a? Could that have a detrimental impact on the confidence uh, of those younger players?
0: Um, you know, in this case, like I think you have to think about who who's doing the yelling, who's getting yelled at, like how that plays out in the hierarchy of things, and like. Um, you know, I, so I think you've got basically Milner giving it to Van Dyke, right? Like that's what we're talking about here for the most part. And like, I think that's okay. You know, like I, I think it's okay and, and not okay. Like I I think my watching it, first of all, I loved it just cause like, I liked saying Milner getting to Van Dyke for some reason. Like I, I just did. Um, it definitely struck me that that's not how Virgil is motivated. Like, it's not how he likes to be talked to. It's not, like, I don't think it helped Virgil at all. I don't think it, like, lit a fire under him. I don't think he's someone you light a fire under in that way. Um, you know, that That being said, like, I think Milner is allowed to do that to anyone. Like, that's part of how this goes at that club. It's like, Milner's the one who's going to keep anyone accountable if he sees that it's important to keep someone accountable. And so, like, I think if that's the rule, then that's the rule, and, like, it... That happening to Van Dyke makes it feel like, okay, that's being applied sort of fairly in this case. Like, so I don't think it undermines anyone's confidence. Like, I think, um you know, like, if you had... If you had someone who doesn't... You know, often in, in teams and clubs, like, there is, like, a, a hierarchy of sort of who's allowed to do what and how. And, like... If you had someone who's not really allowed to be getting into Van Dyke, getting into Van Dyke, then that might kind of create issues. I don't know if it would be confidence issues necessarily, but just sort of like this person's out of line right now issues. Like it just creates some tension. I I think like Milner getting Van Dyke doesn't create any issues. And then like, especially for the younger players, like I don't know that it necessarily feels like, Hey, Milner's losing his head right now. So much as like, we need a spark. And like, um, maybe that could be motivating too. You know, maybe that could feel like, hey, like we're a group, like we need more, maybe I can step up and do this. I feel like sometimes younger players are willing to take that on in a certain way of like trying to fill that role and being really eager to fill that role. Um. But yeah, like, I have no no problem with that. I don't think it's a big deal. I think, like, the thing that you would want to avoid, like, what would damage a younger player's confidence is if suddenly you had Milner getting to one of the younger players in a way that was, like, unfair, you know? Like, more than just a, hey, be here, be there. Like, I think younger players are open to be yelled at in, in a sense of, like, being told where to be and being reminded where to be on the pitch and being walked through games a little bit or, like... Um, you know, hey, you should have made this pass. But like, I think like at some point you have to be mindful of how much feedback a certain person can take before they start to overthink or think about things twice or feel like they're not allowed to play their game. And so like, to me, it would direct negative feedback to Elliot or to Carvalho from powerful players in the group that starts to deflate them. That would be what I'd be more concerned about. But like, you're not... Seeing that by and large, that's not what I saw. And I, you know, I think as much as Van Dyke doesn't like being talked to the way Milner talked to him, I don't think it gave him a boost. I don't think it lights a fire under him. I don't think it bothers him that much either. I don't think it undermines him. I just think like he was kind of like, cool, yeah. oh, fuck you.
2: It, it did remind me of, you know, every single 5 aside pitch where there's that, that lad who's like 38, 39, 40, and he's yelling at the young 23-year-olds <laughs> for not running, and he's like, taken two steps the whole way around, <laughs> and that's not what Milner did. But you know, I suppose it's it, that's what yeah. reminded me of. And okay, there's been this, I suppose, sense of negativity with the results. Essentially, if you I'm were not- working with these players now and we're heading into the match of the weekend, would you would you be sitting down with them individually? Would you be sitting down the, with them collectively, or would you be saying to them, "You guys go and sort this shit out, and do what you need to do to get things back on track,"
0: um, or all three? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, look, like, look, like it, it would totally depend on the license I was given to really work. Like, I, I, like, I think the reality of like the role of a sports psychologist is that often, like, the coaches and the coaching staff, like, they want to be the ones to make the big picture movements of things. I think like if I'm given carte blanche to like, you know, Andrew, how do you want to handle this situation? Well, if Um, Morgan
2: came to you and said, Andrew, give me some advice on what you think I should do and how I should address the lats.
0: Yeah. I think all of the above, you address it on a team level, you address it on an individual level and like, you know, really what my, what my goals would be. And like, what I would say is like, um, focus and clarity of roles with really clear focal points and priorities going into next game. And so, you know, I think what you do is like first like you make sure that the the narratives aren't affecting the way the team is viewing itself. So like the first few games weren't good. Liverpool isn't suddenly terrible. You guys aren't suddenly awful. We're not lost, we're not out at sea. Like, you have to control the narrative and how the players are internalizing that narrative. That's super important because narrative is directly related to identity. So, like, saying that we're a club in distress and here's the, we're a team in distress, like, that's an identity claim as well. Like, here's the story is that we're not getting points. What it means is we're a club in distress. And there's certain ways that, like, the that affects how you see things, how you see the game, how you go into the next game, how you see yourself, how you see your role. And so, like, you have to be very careful about controlling the narrative. And I think Jürgen and his staff are very well-placed to do that. Like, I think Jürgen sets the tone of the group and changes the narrative within the group. You get the leadership on board with that. If you need to have a team meeting about that, like, you certainly can. You want to be careful about, like, pulling the team meeting cord too quickly, but also this doesn't feel too quick. You just lost to United, and they, were, they weren't that good. Don't tell my friend I said that because he's convinced that they weren't, but they weren't that good. We didn't make them beat us. Like, they just... We gave them that game. Um So, first, you control the narrative through whatever means you, you need to. You know, if that's a team meeting, if that's a captain's meeting with captains that are having a team meeting, whatever. But, like, I think the narrative that you probably want to instill is, like, what are the two or three things that need to be better? You know, like not good enough by any stretch of the imagination, but, like, you want the story to be really clearly about, here's the one or two things we need to do. Like, maybe it's... I wouldn't say it's intensity. I would want it to be, like, a tactical thing or a technical thing. Like, something that you can actually dig into. Like, um, one of the complicated things about the psychological side of the game is that the more you use your attention to attend to psychological aspects, so, like, let me use my focus to focus on focusing, like you get kind of tangled. Like, even that sentence is kind of a tangled sentence. Like, if I'm using a lot of my mental energy to maintain my confidence, it means I'm not using that mental energy to attend to the game. And so what you really want to do is you want to be setting up a state of focus. You want to set up a focal point where your interaction with the game then becomes the the thing that generates the confidence. So, like, an example of this would be... Let's go with Trent, maybe. Um... I understand his role a little bit, I think. You know, picking the couple of things that you want him to be doing that you know he can do really well. So maybe it's the big cross field switch to Robertson. Let's say that's the thing that's going to really focus on that. We haven't been doing that enough. Like try to hit that a few times. Like if that's his focal point rather than being, hey, you have to go out there and be confident, which is sort of vague and hard to do and takes mental energy. You know, if he goes out and he hits that ball really well twice in a row. Like He's going to be feeling confident anyway. He's going to start to get into the flow of the game because of his interaction with the game, not because he's doing so much mental work to get there. And so that's what you're trying to create on a team level and an individual level. On a team level, you want to set real clarity around this process that allows every person on the pitch to be engaged and allows, which allows the team to be engaged in, hey, what do we need to be doing, especially something that we can do. So it doesn't mean don't crumple up the tactical playbook and start from scratch. But if there's, if in this tactical evolution, there's pieces to it, what piece can you pick to be the focus of next game? Maybe it's going backwards. Maybe it's saying we need more intensity in our press. Like one of, maybe one of the fundamentals isn't good enough. So instead of going further into the new evolution, you're going back into like the foundation of that and saying, Hey, this piece of our foundation hasn't been good enough. If we tweak this, the rest is going to fall into place. That becomes the narrative. Whatever that element is, maybe it's the pressing intensity or whatever, becomes the focal point. I don't know if that's like gonna matches up with our season narrative, but like that focal point becomes the center of each individual player's focus. And now we have a clear plan that everyone can get into. It becomes the it channels our intensity. It allows us to build that confidence. And then like that becomes a much better platform for something that appears cohesive and allows for all of the confidence and focus and execution and all of those things. It kind of weaves those together. So on an individual level, it's similar. You know, on the team level, you're picking a focal point. Individual level, you're picking focal points that complement the team focal point. And then you're just like reminding everyone, like, these are your things Keep it simple, not in the fact that only play simple passes, but just like don't let the larger picture narratives, the context of the game too heavily influence your decisions. Stick to the focal points and like we'll be good. So that's that's how I would want yeah, to approach so it. And then, you're
2: you're yeah. essentially stripping it back to the, the human beings and say you, you, you have the capability of doing this. You know what to do. We don't need to start from scratch. This is not something that is right. totally brand new. There might be tweaks to it, but you have the skill set. And this is what we need you to do with this, with your skill set. Can you go and do that? And I, I think that's the thing. Like mm-hmm. We're not trying to fit square pegs into round holes with the players that we have. Like essentially... You know, we're not at the point where we're putting Fabinho at centre-half or Henderson at centre-half. centre, centre half. Like That's not where we're at. You know, the majority of those players are playing in the positions that they are used to or have traditionally played in. It's just as well that we've got this massive injury crisis as well that is seriously impacting on our ability to be cohesive. But that could be any club. And yes, it's a... It's a an influencing factor and an ingredient in some of the reasons why maybe we're not playing as well but it's not the full thing and it's about not being able to kind of go well you know don't worry about it lads if we had a full squad here we'd be fine because that doesn't say anything to the players that have stepped in and maybe are struggling so it is about trying to get back to that individual case but then a collective case of what what we do let's start to do it well and if it's not working then it's on the coaching staff try and figure out a different way to work it and i think i think we were looking at a new evolution of of or or a i don't use the term plan b but a different tactical way of of approaching some of the matches Mm -hmm. that we struggled in last year by bringing in Nunes. the problem is if Nunes isn't there there's nobody else can fill that gap whereas when we didn't have that, we had Bobby who could come in as centre-forward, we had Jota that come in as centre-forward, we had Mana who could come in as, as centre-forward, and all pretty much played the same tactical way that we were, were, were used to playing, so everybody knew what, what the, the process was. Now right. we bring in this new man who's, you know, hopefully he's going to be highly, highly successful but there's no one there behind him should he not be around, which means we have to change the tactics of how we're playing. And maybe part of the plan was that he was definitely going to be starting against Manchester United at the start of the season. So this is our plan. He's going to be here and this is how we're going to play against them because they have a small centre half and one is really good in the air so we need someone who can challenge that. So that's what we're going to do. And then all of a sudden that gets thrown out the window. So it's a lot more difficult to adapt to that, maybe. Or not a lot more difficult, but maybe we're just not in the flow of being able to adapt to it in, at this particular moment, whereas, like you are saying, Klopp seems to generally use the start of the season as a way to kind of embed the system so that come October time, it is more in flow. It's just unfortunate that this year, as opposed to maybe previous years, we're dropping points that we wouldn't normally drop.
0: Right. And I I think like what you just illustrated too, like, it's important if you step back and think about everything we've talked about today, like, and putting that back into the larger picture of this, like, pie of like what's going on here. And I think like, um, you know, in terms of people who also didn't have a good preseason, like recruitment (laughs) didn't have a good preseason, like they were expecting Chimaney or whatever that guy's name is. And like, they didn't get him and they, You know, there's no alternative plan, whether that's because he's a totally unique player or what, but it's like, you know, if you were planning for a season with minimal or no injuries up front, you would have prepared an evolution of this team that's centered around Nunez with a midfield of Fabinho, Naby or Henderson and Thiago. And then, like, that's not even kind of what we have. You know? And so, like you're saying, like, if the evolution is based around the qualities of Nunez to some extent, and you have no one who duplicates what he's doing, in some at some level, you're, create, you're preparing two game plans. And, like, we've talked in the past about how that becomes complicated and how that changes focus, but, like, if the idea is we're going to keep building towards this plan that centers around Nunez, and now Nunez isn't there, like, that could certainly account for Something that's a little disjointed. And then, I mean, you have... The reality is, like, the Bobby we have now is not the Bobby who we had five years ago. And, like, that makes a difference. Like, that's a a smaller big percentage. The midfield that's Elliott, Henderson, and Milner is not the midfield we expected. And, like, okay, from a recruitment side of things, like, if we had maybe some higher quality players to plug in there, like that would make a difference too. And so it's like, you know, maybe that quality makes up for the fact that um, the, the tactical part isn't totally right, but it's like, we've lost partly maybe because of the preseason and how that trickles into the injuries, how it trickles into the, the tactical side of things, how Nunez getting a red card was unexpected. Like when all of those things come together, it's like you lose two or three or 5% in each of these different areas Which means that, like, yeah, we're not getting blown away in these games. We're not terrible. But, like, you can't afford to be at 90% in all of these categories. And, like, you know, we were close-ish. And, like, maybe there's a world in which we still didn't play that well and we ended up with, I don't know, something like seven points from this run or, you know, maybe even all nine because the teams we played really, like, weren't that good. Um but the the other thing is sometimes, like, if you're playing at 90% or you're having issues in all of these different areas, you know, you don't always win. You don't always get away with that, and we haven't. And sometimes by narrow margins, we haven't, but we still haven't. And that's the risk you take. And I think, you know, really what needs to happen now is, like, the preseason didn't go well. Where are we at now, and what's the plan for the next set of games? And how do you, you know create cohesion in that plan in terms of who's available and who are we actually playing with in terms of the tactics based on who we're playing with because it's different from who we expected to play with. And then the psychological side of thing builds off of those tactics. What's the narrative we create? What are the focal points that we assign to people? What are the roles that we assign to people that allow them to create the kind of confidence and intensity that allows them to show up on the pitch? And that's kind of how you build going forward. It is, it's not a hard reset. It's just a small reset.
2: Yeah, and you go and sign Frankie De Young as well. <laughs> <laughs> sounds, sounds good. Yeah. I, uh, I, I the only yeah, reason he came because I, like go. I got a, a message there to say that we're linked with them. I don't think Frankie De Young's going to us, but you know, I think what you've described is is uh, a way that the the coaching staff can ground the players again essentially just take the learning from the first three matches, highlight the things that have worked quite well, because there have been things that worked well. It's just we, as a fan base, we're outcome-focused. It's just what we are. And, um, and it's, it's not broken. It's not a system that everyone has figured out, in inverted commas, like, um, like a lot of people say, because everyone knows how we play. We just are so good that we can usually execute. Usually and we just haven't executed as yet. But I have no doubt it's going to kick in, and hopefully it will kick in this weekend.
0: Yep, yeah, exactly. And I think that's the other thing, is just like, you know, yeah, we got the start of the season wrong. And I think maybe like before, when I said we weren't prepared, and we weren't ready, and you can't fabricate the motivation, like, really what I meant there, it's not necessarily that we weren't prepared for the intensity of Fulham. I think our preseason was designed intentionally to prepare us for something totally different than what has actually happened. And so like, oops. Yeah. You got to hold your (laughs) hand Right. You know? And like, what do you do? You, you kind of make the small tweaks. It's not totally lost, but you make the small tweaks and create some new vocal points and get Frankie DeYoung in and, you know, announce Bellingham for next year. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, whatever else, whatever other, you know, things, people you need to sign, and then all is and well. All is
2: well. What a great way to finish off, Andrew. Thank you so much for bringing us your expertise as always. It's absolutely fantastic the insight that you that you bring. So, I hope the next time we're chatting, we'll have, we'll be celebrating quite a few wins. And uh, yeah, for those of you who are not subscribers as yet, and on the free site jump in. There's tons and tons of fantastic content on a daily basis for all of us to consume. And until next time, take care of yourselves.
1: We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel. So future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement. And we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free discord community